Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Last time we talked about the State of the Union message, and you should read my mail. I'll give you a few examples afterward, but so contentious, so divisive. We have so divided a country uh, on, this, on, on, on the speeches as if there were two speeches. Well, there were, one by uh, Huckabee Sanders and the other by uh, Joe Biden, but it's as if each speech were two speeches. Uh, there was no agreement uh, whatsoever, and the contentiousness and the name calling, the letters are just filled with filled with hate. So I wanted to lighten it up a little bit, and um, so tonight uh, I'm going to talk about the Super Bowl and how watching the Super Bowl could provide a model for what America could be like. I've seen, I think, every Super Bowl there was. I remember the first ones with Joe Namath. I was a kid, but I watched them very carefully. Went to one Super Bowl with my son, Elon, 1988, so it was 25 years ago. I don't think I ever want to go to another Super Bowl again. It was a little frantic and a little hectic and, and crowded. It was a good game. I enjoyed it. I've watched all of them since. Most of them I've watched in crowds with uh, people, usually people, you know, halfway divided. Well, when the Giants play and I watch in New York, obviously, it's not divided. But when you get two teams that are outside teams like Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the audiences tend to be pretty much down in the middle. And, you know, when there's a good play from one side, people cheer who are supported that team. But not too many boos when uh, it happens. Um, mostly it's, it's, it's relatively, relatively friendly. Um, and that happened yesterday, uh, too. It was a great game. Great game. Two phenomenal quarterbacks. The first time two African-American uh, quarterbacks played, faced off against each other in, in the Super Bowl, and they were both sensational. Um, had, the, had it been reversed and had, had um, uh, Jalen Hurts had the ball with a couple of minutes to go tied, I suspect he would have marched down the field and gotten the field goal. But uh, the uh, uh, it didn't happen, and uh, what happened is, of course, is Mahorn marched in. Mahone, always get him confused with the basketball player. Mahoma um, marched them down the field, and then there was a uh, a field goal, a, a chippy shot, an easy shot from uh, just uh, 25 yards out. That was that was anti-climactic, uh, but uh, the game the game was great. Uh, I have to admit, uh, my team did not win. Um, I was rooting for the Eagles largely because my grandson uh, was at the game as a guest of um, uh, one of the children of the owner of the Eagles. And so um, I was hoping the Eagles would win and he could go on the field and maybe join in the celebration. And so I was very disappointed. But um, look, the better team won. I had only one gripe. Um, I didn't think that an official should be calling what could have been, it wasn't really, but could have been a dispositive foul at the very end of the game under very, very questionable circumstances. Obviously, the guy who fouled um, did the gentlemanly thing and said, yeah, he had committed a foul. He had grabbed the guy's jersey. I think he was wrong. Um, I don't think he grabbed his jersey. I saw it. We saw close-ups. It looked like he just patted his jersey. It was the kind of call that could have gone either way and probably shouldn't have been made. At the very end of the game, obviously, uh, uh, the Eagles fans went nuts yesterday after the game was over, and they climbed up poles, turned over cars, and did all that. Uh, many complained about that call, but I don't think the call would have made a difference. Um, I suspect that 
they would have gotten a field goal anyway and might have been from 40 yards instead of from 25 yards. But I suspect that once um, uh, Mahomes got the ball with a few minutes to go and a couple of timeouts, um, uh, it was inevitable that uh, they would be able to either score uh, a field goal or a touchdown. And they did. And I wouldn't say the better team won. I would say equally, equally talented teams went at the halftime. You know, obviously the Eagles were 10 points uh, ahead. But when they showed the statistics um, at some point, they were remarkably, remarkably similar. The, the quarterback ratings, the, um, uh, the fact that you had two brothers, one in each team who were the great receivers. Um, the teams were more similar than any two teams I've ever seen. There were differences. Uh, the Eagles played a more aggressive game, and um, uh, the Chiefs played a more cautious game. And uh, in the end, I don't know whether the caution demonstrated that it was the right way to go or whether they would have won had they been a little bit more aggressive um, themselves. D don't know. There are too many factors, too many variables. Um, you know, as people say, sports is a question of, of inches and seconds, uh, sometimes even less than inches. The first downs are determined sometimes by really less than an inch or sometimes even by judgment calls. And, uh, and timing is, is everything. One of the reasons I like uh, baseball is because there's no clock. Well, there is now. You know, they're trying to introduce a clock um, to some aspects of baseball to make sure the game doesn't go on for four or five hours. I've been to such games, Red Sox-Yankees games, uh, tended uh, over the years to be long events, but they were always great. And I've been to many of those uh, starting when I was a kid uh, back in uh, in the 50s in Yankee Stadium, seeing D Joe DiMaggio and and then Mickey Mantle and uh, Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra was always my favorite and um, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, players. And I never got to see a World Series when I was a kid. You know, we didn't have the money for that. Um, but I watched them on my little 10-inch black and white television with Red Barber uh, calling the game and saw the Yankees repeatedly beat the Dodgers. And the slogan was always wait until next year. And then finally, finally in 1955, my first year in college, I had sworn off baseball. I said, I'm going to become a student. I'm going to give up sports. I'm not going to watch I'm going to go to classes and I'm going to, you know, remember baseball games during the day in those days, many of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go to classes. I watched uh, all seven games of uh, 55 and I remember vividly Johnny Padres and I actually have a photograph of um, Roy Campanella jumping on, on Padres when he got the last out. And uh, um, so, you know, I've been following sports. I, I had a season pass Season tickets, I think I had the longest season tickets maybe among Celtics players. I had them for over 50 years. Red Auerbach originally helped me get uh, the best seats in the house. So I watched Bill Russell and you know all the great, great basketball players um, from the middle 60s until um, the time I left Harvard about 10 years ago and saw you know, the great, the great Celtics teams, um, probably the Celtics, along with the New York Yankees, were probably the two greatest teams um, in sports history. Maybe the Montreal Canadiens uh, rank along them. But, um, you know, uh, watching Bill Russell was just, it was amazing. It was like watching a sports ballet, very different from the kind of superstars we uh, we see today, uh, the LeBrons and, and others. Um, um, so um, back to the back to the Super Bowl, 
what was so important for me is that people had very strong feelings of, about uh, the outcome of the game. I did for you know personal reasons, and 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 um, and the the Eagles fans did, as evidenced by the fact that they nearly wrecked the city. Uh, you know, uh, after they, uh, they they won the previous uh, league championship, uh, they were climbing up poles, and so the uh, police uh, greased the poles and made it impossible to climb up the poles. Well, these people climbed up the greased poles, got grease all over themselves, and probably some fell. But um, the passions were very, 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 very high. But when you watch a game, when you watch a Super Bowl uh, together with somebody from the opposite side, you talk, you discuss, you argue, you disagree, but you don't do what Americans are doing today and what Israelis are doing today. What's going on in Israel today? With There are 100,000 people demonstrated yesterday and uh, the night before, and uh, there are hundreds of thousands altogether have demonstrated against what to most Americans seems like a domestic and 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 uh, technical um, dispute about whether the Supreme Court should have complete authority over certain issues or whether the Knesset, the parliament, should have the right to uh, to um, override and have the mechanisms for the Supreme Court appointments. You know, they try to emulate the United States. What a disaster that would be. Uh, we have the worst system of picking the judges uh, uh, president makes the, the nomination, and then uh, the Senate has to confirm. The Senate is a different body from the president. There are all kinds of problems. Uh, we've seen the politicization of the process. The hearings are a disaster. Um, and, and so I hope Israel doesn't uh, emulate that. But the, the point is this. Both Israel and the United States are deeply, deeply divided. Um, and, and the hatred, the real hatred, um, is, is something to be feared. Uh, I, I worry very much that the hatred in both countries could, could turn to violence. We saw it did turn to violence after the horrible murder of, of George Floyd. And uh, it didn't turn much to violence after the most recent uh, killings because it was not an interracial killing. But uh, race um, does provoke um, uh, violence, uh, racial differences. Uh, uh, we saw violence directed at, at African-Americans for so many, 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 many years. Jim Crow was largely based on the fear of lynching. Um, and um, now we see violence on both sides. Uh, we see white supremacists engaged in violence. We see um, Black Lives Matter folks engaged in violence. And so we're seeing the divisions of our country play out in, in so many um, different ways. Now, I'm not suggesting that... Uh, who runs the country is uh, anywhere nearly as important, significant, uh, or um, uh, provoking of, of uh, anger as um, a sports uh, games. But, you know, sports are very, very emotional. Uh, not as much in this country as in um, South America. Uh, in South America, people are killed over, over football, soccer. Um, referees have been killed. Uh, injured. Um, and, uh, you know, here, fortunately, we just complain about the referees, the umpires, the officials. Uh, I do. Um, I think that officials uh, today play too great a role in the outcome of games or even in the middle of games. I, I would like to see much less of that. Um, and, and uh, you know, football is such a complicated uh, sport. 
the rules uh, are so much more complicated in football than they are in, in, in baseball. Well, baseball is pretty complicated uh, too. I think I once asked all my viewers, and got, I got some interested in getting some letters. Um, I follow baseball a lot, and I, I love baseball trivia. So my question that I always love to ask, I would always ask a trivia question at the beginning of my class when I taught my course in sports law. It was called The Law of Baseball. How do you get four outs in an inning? All four outs count, and the last out may determine the outcome of the game. So write to me if you um, think you know the answer to that, and it's not a drop last strike. So put that aside. Um, um, but football, I tell you, I've been watching football now for, what, 60 years? More, more, probably 70 years. I still don't understand all the rules. I mean, I understand offside, and I understand, you know, obviously pass interference and holding, but some of the technicalities just just are above my head. I just, I just don't get them. Um, but uh, they can sometimes be outcome determinative, and Sometimes you get an outcome determinative call in a game that doesn't have anything to do with the rules. Um, for example, in the, in the last game that got the Chiefs to the Super Bowl, um, they won in part because of a call that had to do with the clock having to be reset. And they got a chance to do the third down over again. Had they not gotten that chance, the, the, the game probably would have gone into an overtime. And we don't know whether or not uh, Mahone would have even gotten into the Super Bowl. So... You know, we see a lot of technicalities and a lot of um, issues that are uh, unemotional, but they cause emotion. But the point I'm trying to make is we Americans have learned to live together in so many different contexts. Um, until recently, we never had a contested, we've had contested elections. Obviously, um, I participated in one of them, Bush versus Gore. I was one of the lawyers I represented the people of Palm Beach who were victimized by the butterfly ballot and cast their ballots for the wrong candidate, which affected the outcome of the election. Um, so we've had, but we've, we haven't had kind of um, people until President Trump saying, I, I won the election and um, uh, I should be serving. Uh, Biden's an illegitimate president. As you know, I think that's, that's wrong. It's the first time we've had that. Um, you know, obviously Andrew Jackson complained bitterly when the election was taken away from him by John Quincy Adams, uh, the Tilden Hayes elections. We've had disputed elections, but until now, we've never had somebody claiming to have won the election and um, not backing down. And um, um, I don't think that was right. Uh, he's moved off that, and now he's going to run again, and we'll see, we'll see what, what happens. Obviously, there was a joke that said, well, he couldn't run uh, for a third term because he claims to have been twice elected already. Um, no, he can run for a third term. And um, um, and we don't know whether he's going to get the nomination, and whether DeSantis will get the nomination. Uh, we don't know whether Biden's going to run. It's going to be very divisive and it's going to be very confrontational. And I would hope we can learn a little from how we watch football together. Um, when I watched football, you know, we would uh, we would argue with each other. Sure. But at the end of the game, we'd have a drink. And when I was uh, more active in, in life and law, I used to be on the Bill Buckley uh, TV show from time to time on his radio show. And, uh, we debated in person at Harvard to a filled audience in Sanders Theater. And we debated, argued with each other like children. Um, um, last time I debated him was um, over the issue of whether the First Amendment permits the 
criminalization of adult pornography. I said, no. He said, yes, we argued, we argued, we argued. And then we went and we had a drink uh, at Harvard Square afterward and, and, and uh, reaffirmed our friendship and our deep respect for each other and our deep respect for each other's uh, different views. Um, I always learned a lot from Bill Buckley. He says he learned from me as well. We grew up as differently as two people could. He grew up as a patri patrician, uh, very religious Catholic. I grew up as whatever the opposite of patrician is, um, Orthodox Jew from, from, from Brooklyn. And um, we became friends, as I did with so many other uh, people. My mentor in law school was, again, somebody as different as me as two people could be, General Telford Taylor, uh, former chief prosecutor at Nuremberg, the epitome of uh, being a wasp. And uh, I loved him. And uh, he admired me. And uh, we were friends until his death. Uh, you don't have to be of the same religion or race or ethnicity to have enormous respect for somebody. And more importantly, you don't have to agree with them. I mean, the idiots on Martha's Vineyard, the absolute jerks on Martha's Vineyard uh, who decided to sever, you know, 25, 30, 40 year friendships uh, with my wife, with me, with my children, because they disagreed with whether or not I should defend um, uh, President Trump. So, so such immaturity and stupidity and limited capacity to understand the role of a lawyer uh, on their part, but it was uh, typical. Now, Martha's Vineyard is worse. Chilmark is the worst of the worst when it comes to extremism and intolerance. But um, in some respects, it does reflect uh, what's going on around the country. I suspect there's a lot more tolerance in some parts of the country than among uh, hard left uh, people who call themselves liberals, but are uh, among the least liberal people I know, the kind of radical woke progressives who uh, don't think that other people should have free speech rights or uh, other other kinds of rights. And so, um, uh, yeah, I love the Super Bowl. I loved watching it. Um, I watched part of it uh, with a group. Um, uh, then I came back home and just sat with my wife. And we had a nice glass of wine and, and watched it. And um, it was sad at the end. But um that's the way it is in sports. That's the way it is in politics. That's the way it is with judicial opinions. Uh, you win some, you lose some. That's why I'm not in favor of what's going on in Israel today with trying to change the Supreme Court and weaken it. And that's why I'm not interested in what the left in America wants to do, weaken the Supreme Court now, because they don't like Roe versus Wade. They want to pack the court. They want to limit its jurisdiction. Uh, the mirror image of what's going on in Israel, and maybe one of these days we'll talk about those issues, but today I wanted to focus on uh, sports before we get to the contentious letters. Now, let me tell you about the letters. So uh, I get a lot of letters on Monday because I get letters on Monday that come in on um, uh, Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So it's my biggest day for letters. I got a pile this big uh, of letters. Again, I divide them in two, uh, half of them, or maybe two-thirds of them are from Rumble, and a third of them are from YouTube. Let me tell you that of all the ones I got on Rumble, and I probably got a thousand on Rumble, not a single one agreed with me that Biden had made a decent speech and that Biden had helped himself. Um, by showing he's capable of delivering a speech, not in a 
brilliantly articulate manner, but in a perfectly competent manner, and that um, Trump was hurt by um, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, essentially not mentioning him and talking about a new generation taking over. So every single person, every single person disagreed with me. Every single person, not not an exception. I didn't get one letter of condemnation, of, com of commendation. I got many from um, from YouTube um, commending me on my balanced view, but I got none. I got none. Uh, I'll just read a couple to, to make my point and then we'll go on to a few other interesting issues. AD, did you watch the rebuttal? Apparently not. Biden uh, is detached from reality. I watched the rebuttal. Um, I actually like her, and I like her father. Um, and I listened very attentively to what she said. And she talked about a new generation of Republican leaders, of which she is, of what she is one. And um, she was effective in her speech. Yeah, but I thought so was uh, Joe Biden effective in his speech. Um, and then here's another one. I guess uh, George Soros got to you with that big paycheck, uh, unless, of course, you were being sarcastic. No, I wasn't being sarcastic. I dislike George Soros enormously. I have railed against him for years, and um, I don't believe that attacking George Soros is anti-Semitic, though I think a lot of anti-Semites pick on George Soros because he's Jewish and represents Jewish money, but um, I would oppose George Soros, whether he was Jewish, Protestant, black, white, or anything else. Um, he is um, uh, extreme woke progressive who is intolerant of other people's views and, uh, and, and has too much of an impact on American, on American politics. Um, as one guy who gave me the biggest insult in the world, uh, he said, you sound vaccinated. Yeah, I am vaccinated five times. Now, the original vaccination, the three boosters, and then the one for the special shot. And, you know, I got COVID nonetheless, three weeks. Pretty bad case, but didn't kill me. So I'm happy. Um, and uh, I'll continue to take all the vaccines that are prescribed. And uh, obviously, I'll read all the literature, but so far, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty persuaded. And then you get these. Why don't you just admit that you're a communist? <laughs> then you wouldn't have to go through uh, the list of what you believe. Well, I'm as much of an anti-communist as anybody could be. I always opposed communism uh, when I was a student body president at Brooklyn College. And I defended the rights of communists to speak there. I always made sure to make the point very clear that I hated communism. I hated Stalinism. I hated, uh, um, I don't like uh, socialism. I don't mind uh, uh, having uh, 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 welfare programs for the poor and social security and all that, but I'm not a socialist. Um, I find it hardly ast astounding that while you were so upset about not finding or getting Newsmax commentary due to shutting down speech, and in the next breath, you put down the very party that is trying to give us free speech. Now, I agree with you. I think the Republicans are better on the free speech issue than uh, the Democrats are, but that's not enough for me. Um, I don't like the Republican views on a woman's right to choose, on, on gay marriage, on, on gun control. And I do think that sometimes the Republicans favor free speech for me, but not for thee. So yeah, I don't think there's any particular uh, contradiction there. Um, here's one. Um, I am upset. Some folks are talking about you in the comments. Some, my God, you should read what some of them are saying. Mr. D, you are no fool. You are no liar. However, I do agree with many of the things being said about your assessment 
of Mr. Biden. Joe Biden <clears throat> was a generally <clears throat> moderate Democrat his whole career. Now he suddenly supports the far left. I, I don't think that's true. Um, I don't think his speech was a far left speech. I think the speech was a centrist, leaning toward left, liberal, not progressive or woke speech. And uh, that's where my politics uh, tend to be. Then there's thanks for uh, speaking up regarding the availability of Newsmax. So I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, it's a disaster what um, uh, AT&T and Atlantic Broadband have done. Uh, they clearly censored, and they did it on purely political grounds. It certainly wasn't for economic reasons. They've apparently lost a fortune doing it. Um, their stock has gone down. Who knows what the reasons are? But I suspect and uh, I hope that part of the reason was the American public doesn't like censorship and doesn't like uh, supporting groups and, and doesn't like supporting networks that uh, have censorship. Um, okay, here's an interesting one. Mr. Dershowitz, an FBI whistleblower came out and reported that a memo was circulated in the FBI offices advising the agents to watch for radical traditional Catholics as threats. This is very scarily scary. And I've seen the, the, the memo. I was on a, a Newsmax show today at noon, which where that was discussed. Uh, the FBI should not be investigating anybody based on their religious views. It can obviously investigate people of every religion based on their views and attitudes and propensities toward violence. But no, they shouldn't be uh, looking at people based on groups. Okay, now I want to turn to another subject for the next few minutes. And you remember I talked about Gertrude Stein. Um, here's a letter. Well, I never knew about that about Gertrude Stein. Thank you. She was a coward, but if I were given the same opportunity to live, um, et cetera. Remember, Gertrude Stein lived her life in um, occupied France. She was a very close friend of the head of the Gestapo. Here she is sitting with the head of the Gestapo. Um, she may very well have turned in Jewish children. Um, she was a supporter of Nazism. She admired Hitler, nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, and um, wrote introductions and praising uh, articles about the heads of the Nazi occupation. Um, and uh, but so this person says there was another Stein. She was right. Who lived in Germany? Edith Stein. She converted. She was Jewish. She was born Jewish. She converted to Catholicism and was a nun. The soldiers rounded up the Jews in her area were told not to take her, but she insisted on joining the Jews on the train. She was, of course, killed in the camp. She is now a Catholic saint. Huge moral courage, historic bravery, and morality. And yeah, uh, remember the Nazis didn't care what your religion was if you were Jewish. They didn't regard Judaism as a religion. They regard being Jewish as a race. And so if you were born Jewish, if you were quarter Jewish, if you had a grandparent who was Jewish, even if you were converted and became, and became a, um, um, a, a Catholic priest, you were sent to the gas chambers. And so many Catholic priests were sent to the gas chambers. And um, many people who were Protestants were sent to the gas chambers if they were Jewish, um, Jewish by origin, because Nazism was a racial concept, notwithstanding what Whoopi Goldberg ignorantly has said about that. Okay. Um, and here's another letter. In case anyone is interested, the book Professor Dershowitz talked about regarding Gertrude Stein is not called Strange Collaboration. That's what I thought it was. I was doing it by memory. The correct title is Unlikely Collaboration. And here's the book. 
Um, it's a brilliant, brilliant book by Barbara Will. I found this book when, and I called Barbara Will and had her come and teach my class. When I taught a class at Harvard Law, Harvard College rather, called uh, Where Does Your Morality Come From? And uh, a lot of the students in the class, it was a small class, 15, but a number of the students in the class were feminists who adored Gertrude Stein. And I tried very hard in this class to provoke students to challenge their own views. Uh, people who love Dostoevsky, I made them read Dostoevsky's um, essay on, on being Jewish. I made them, uh, oh, he was a very, very anti-Semite. I made them uh, read Calhoun's essay, Supporting Slavery. I, I made them read things that made them uncomfortable because that's the job of a professor uh, at a university. And so I gave them this book to read and I got Barbara Will to come and teach uh, the class. And it was just shocking to students to be able to read her brilliant writing. And she wrote brilliantly about a lot of things. Uh, and then to realize that she was just an out and out Nazi, just a plain ordinary Nazi like Goering and Goebbels. And I mean, she didn't have the power, maybe she did to turn in Jews and send them to the gas chambers. But the fact that the museums uh, show her work without any indication initially of who she was and what she did. The fact she's not been canceled. Um, she's taught in feminist uh, uh, departments without any reference to the fact that she was a Nazi. Um, you know, nobody knows what her views were on race. I wish we did, because if her views were as bad about African-American people as they were about Jews, she would be canceled. But being an anti-Semite apparently is not enough to get you canceled in most woke progressive uh, universities. So we'll see you tomorrow.